Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Cup Reviews, brought to you by Cup of Hemlock Theater. I am your host, marketing manager, Mackenzie. I'm also the man with two lefty who cannot dance, but that's okay. That's okay. I can certainly appreciate dance instead. And I am proud to say, ladies and gentlemen, that this is our 50th episode. Yes, that is right. We You've sat through 50 episodes of The Cup. And now we are officially uh, 50 episodes in, and it's only fitting for our 50th episode that we do a follow-up to one of our most popular, most viewed episodes, which is our uh, holiday episode all about the Nutcracker Ballet. So to do that, we had hinted that we may do this in that episode, but we are returning to the world of Tchaikovsky, and we're talking about his other really well-known ballet besides Swan Lake, and that is Sleeping We have two returning panelists from our Nutcracker episode. First off, welcome back, Emma. Hello, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having us back. Thank you, and I'm so happy to say this time we are recording visual, so you actually will be able to see us talk, (laughs) versus our last time we did this, and there was no visual, just a bunch of other stuff we had to fill in there, because Mac forgot to hit the record button. After two hours of that, he realized, oh no, there is no uh, video. But there we go. But Emma, welcome back. And what is in your cup today? What is in your ensemble? How is your new year started out? That was a lot. I, I mean, new year, like maybe we'll skip over that. But yeah. my cup is like solid tea with a little bit of lemon. So that's that's going well for me. Yes. Um, yes. Sorry, was there a third part to the question? No, that was it. That was oh. it. You hit it all perfectly. Crushed it. <laughs> Crushed it. Off to a great start. Also, welcome back, Anna. Hello. Hello. It's so nice to be here. So nice to have you back. How goes it with your studies? What's in your cup? Well, thank you for asking. My cup here is a round cup, like so, mm-hmm. and it has a little inscription on it on it that says, Some bunny loves you. A little oh. bunny on there. So that's what I'm drinking out of. And it's... Uh, Tazo Zen tea, I believe, which is like lemongrass with green and peppermint. Nice. So I'm enjoying that. And my year, like, I feel like it hasn't started yet. Like, I just feel like 2021 hasn't even happened. So yeah. I'm still waiting on something, you know, exciting. <laughs> this is it. This is it. This is it. <laughs> yeah. This is it. The 50th um, episode of the cup. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's been really slow. Just slugging along is what mm-hmm. I tend to say these days, you know, trying yeah. to write, trying to read. Very yes. slowly. Yes. And back for her sixth episode, it is none other than Ms. Alicia. Hello, Alicia. 
Hello, it's lovely to be back once again. Yes, welcome, welcome back. Now, when you came on and did our episode all about Showboat, you yes. had not seen or known about Showboat. And did you know much about this ballet or ballet in general before you answered the call this week to come on and speak about Sleeping Beauty? <laughs> not really. But I was excited to watch and take notes and analyze. But mm -hmm. I've never watched the Sleeping Beauty um, ballet before. Mm -hmm. But I was happy to hop on board. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Let's see, Alicia, that's what's so great about you. You just come on. You're just always willing to jump in and be like, don't know the show, but I'm excited to learn and yes. experience something new about theater. So more, yeah. so more of us should follow in your footsteps. I, I think it would make our theater world a much more wonderfully well-rounded environment for people. Oh, I 100% agree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of all this, uh, we can get into this production. Oh, first I will say in my... Oh, Alicia, what's in your cup? We never did find out what was in your cup. I was waiting for the good question of what's in my <laughs> cup today. Um, I'm drinking tea, hopping on the tea train like everyone mm -hmm. else, and mm -hmm. it's specifically Earl Grey. Very nice. Very nice. Well, tonight I do not have my regular tea. Instead, I'm going for this red motif because there is a lyric from the Disney Sleeping Beauty that says, lips that will shame the red, red rose. So I have red all over. I have a red shirt and I'm also drinking cranberry juice because, you know, I'm an old man that way. Gotta have my cranberry juice. Um, well, there we go. Yes, the red motif is strong tonight. Uh, but yes, let's get into this 2017 ballet production of Sleeping Beauty. Uh, it was done by the Royal Ballet, and it was in its, in its choreography, original choreography was done by Marius Petipa, and it had additional choreography done by Frederick uh, Ashton, uh, Anthony Dowell, and Christopher uh, Wilden, and it was conducted by none other than Conan Kessel. So there we go. And it starred none other than Marlena Nunez as Princess Aurora. So there we go. And we're going to be talking all about this uh, other big Tchaikovsky ballet. So to kind of kick things off, uh, Emma, we'll let you start. Who was your cast shout out? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I really struggled with this because I had a lot. Um, and it's hard for me. It, Nutcracker was a lot easier because <laughs> it was. The one who played Clara, it was very yeah. clear cut. This, it We're was a little, I found it a little more difficult to figure mm -hmm. it out. So I'm going to give a few shout outs. Um, my actual favorite dancer was the female bluebird, who I just learned from mm. looking at the cast list is not called the female bluebird or a bluebird <laughs> at all. So where are we? She is down the list. Sorry, I scrolled. That's okay. I believe Princess Florine, played by Akan Takada. Does that okay. sound? Does, do you see where that is? It's like low because she's act flooring it yes. up for us. But um, stunning. And I think I'm a little partial because I, I know that variation from my ballet days of the past. There so you it's know. just, it's it's in there. But I, I thought she was absolutely stunning. I also want to give a quick shout out to what I also learned is not the witch has an actual character name in this mm -hmm. production. <laughs> yes, she does. Yes, she does. We could scroll for it, but maybe someone else will probably mention her because it was a pretty fun role and I have a feeling she's going to be a favorite. 
And a third little shout out to the prince, mm-hmm. who I thought, I mean, they're all apparently princes, but I thought the there main quite a few one, princes in this Yeah, no, it gets confusing. It's real monarchy over here. But um, the main prince was lovely. And then mm-hmm. final, and I could not figure out who this was on the cast list because I do not remember the sequence, but it was the last of the Lilac Fairies dancers who has the fun variation with all the pointing. Oh, oh yes, 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 oh. yes, yes, yes. That's the one you want to do. You want to be the one who does all the pointing. I'm a pointer. And yeah. in ballet, I was thinking about it. I was like, how rare that women are just pointing at stuff like when mm-hmm. they're not miming. Just like this, that. Like, I loved it. Yes. <laughs> so that was wonderful. Love it. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. So, so wait, hold on. So, Emma, you said you have danced to the Sleeping Beauty Ballet. You've done a production of it back no, in the day? No, I've never done a production of this. Definitely not. Um, but it's, there are so many variations, like these mm-hmm. little small dances that happen in it, mm-hmm. that going through, and this is really back in the day, but going through ballet exams, you mm-hmm. do an all shenma, so you, you learn a, a little solo every single mm-hmm. year. And the bluebird one is quite common. It's one that mm-hmm. you learn. There are a lot of fairy variations. So I think like for a lot of people who grew up in ballet, mm-hmm. you these get into your body yeah. at some point or another. Yes. And the music stays with you. So mm-hmm. I visited them briefly. Briefly. In petit peu. Yeah, in petit peu. Excuse me. <coughs> Wonderful. Uh, Anna, how about you? Who was your cast shout out this time around? Actually, I have the same cast shout out as uh, Emma does. I want to shout out the um, Bluebird dancer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, both actually. So I'm just going to also scroll because I need to read the names out. So uh, Akane Takada was like for me amazing. And then her partner as well, Alexander Campbell. Mm-hmm. Um was great too. I think like together they had a lot of chemistry um, and they had, I think the most character for me throughout the yeah. whole production actually, which maybe is a little sad to say because uh, there's so many good pieces in there. Uh, but for me, they, they stood out in how they interacted with each other and how um, just like how much personality they had mm-hmm. together. So mm-hmm. I would say both of them would be my main shout out. Um, I want to shout out also, I mean, you, you can't just do one. So <laughs> I'm just going to also shout out uh, Aurora Marinella Nunez, uh, who's, I think, always amazing. I haven't mm-hmm. seen her uh, recently um, in things, but I've seen like earlier things that she did um, on video, not live, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, and she just seems to be like infallible. Like she just is so consistent um, mm-hmm. and you can trust her to do all the things, uh, all the choreography, all the technique, plus be really charismatic. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's, I think that goes without saying. Um, and you know what? Why not just shout out uh, another couple? And that is Puss in Boots and the White Cat. I enjoyed them as well. Mm-hmm. They're fun. Yes, they have my they have my favorite piece of music of the entire ballet, which is the, um, once again, it goes back to Disney because that's where I learned all this, but it's the Aurora. It's, it's, it's do-do-do. It's, yeah. I, I, it's still in the movie it's terrifying because it's the evil siren call that kind of gets her to go prick her finger on the spindle and it scared me as a kid but then watching this ballet i was like wait a minute hold on that whole scary piece of music comes from like this playful cat random ballet that happens in, at the end of the show 
Chopper yeah. looked good on this. Like, I, I, I forget who adapted the music for the Disney movie, but like, he scoured that score and found some really memorable snippets to use to cut together to make that like 60 minute movie version that they did. So, mm-hmm. love Puss. Mm-hmm. I mean, the costumes were also Puss in Boots too, with the, with those cat masks they had were great as well. We will get into that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Alicia, how about you? Who is your shout out of the day? Uh, f- uh, similar to Anna, I also really loved Marinella Nunez. Mm-hmm. I found her dancing phenomenal, and I felt like she had the most, um, like the spotlight was mostly on her when she was there. So I mm-hmm. think that's kind of what made me re made my eyes just focus on her dancing. Mm-hmm. I specifically really liked the scene. I believe this was act uh, in Act Two. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was getting like spun around by all, by all these gentlemen callers, mm-hmm. and just she was just so like on point, and it it just looked like there it, it was so much muscle strength to do that. But she looks so oh, extremely yeah. like elegant and lovely. Uh, yeah, she just captured my eye in that moment, and mm-hmm. I was focused on her throughout the rest of the the ballet. Mm-hmm. The Rose Adagio. Oh, that's what yes. that scene that dance is called. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm really yes. cool yeah the rose adagio love that i saw i saw the music tchaikovsky was brilliant in this one so brilliant uh but i will say i'm gonna actually go back up to one of the people emma would give a shout out to and that is Kristen mcnally uh and she played carabas aka the evil fairy aka maleficent in the, in the disney movie so she's had a few different names but the fact she actually is given a name in this not just the evil fairy she actually is given a a name is great. And every time she was on stage, from the minute she comes out in that great black chariot to 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 um, ruin the celebrations, even though, I mean, to be fair, the, the, the guy didn't invite her, messed up that list. So, so I mean, like, I, I don't blame her being a little bit ticked off. Everybody else gets invited except for you. That's a, that's, that's a bit of a slight, just gotta say. I mean, I mean, I do understand a little bit of her anger there. Um, but no, every time she was on stage, like she, she was, she's a very petite, uh, uh, dancer. She's not, like, she's not big. She's not really, like, uh, uh, compared to like Aurora, who had a much more stronger frame. Like she, like she was a much more lanky, uh, dancer, but yet she just filled the space with what she did. Her character was so big and just so villainous in a way that was just great. Like just watching her do her thing, like when she takes the guy's wig off and does just, just plucking his hairs out or like or, or just her and her rats which once again i don't know what Chikasi has against rats but this is the second ballet we've seen that features evil rats mind you i don't like rats either so i wasn't too hurt by that i just thought that was a neat Tchaikovsky connection that two production that we've watched have rats show up in there somehow um but no she just filled the space and i was i was always i was so sad when she kind of got when they kind of got rid of her at the end of the third act there and that cool mirror effect they did. I was like, oh, I want more of you. I, I want to see more of you doing stuff with the, with the prince and, and the lilac fairy. I, I, want to, I want to see more of what happens with, with you. Like, turn into the dragon. Come on, do something here. Like, have so, I mean, the fact that her costume, though, was very Maleficent. Like, it had the two horns designs that kind of came out at the top of her head there. So, like, you could see some of that, er, that Disney influence that they took there with the kind of that costume design. So I thoroughly enjoyed 
uh, her performance. She just stole the show from me every time she showed up on stage. The minute she showed up in that chair, I was like, okay, I'm invested in you. I'm ready to like watch and have some fun with what you're going to do here. So I was all on board for that. Well, speaking of uh, cat masks and chariots, let's get into what, what our favorite production or design element was. Alicia, for you, what was your favorite production or design element? Uh, you definitely already kind of touched on it a bit, but costumes, um, the gowns, the wigs, the animal masks, they were all so specific to the time period. And they were also detailed and just luxurious. Mm-hmm. It made me want to, like, touch it, touch mm-hmm. the gowns. They just look great. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, I really loved um, Carabas, like, her outfit her long black gown with the red like look like diamonds almost like just her scene with um the evil rats (laughs) (laughs) the costumes in that uh section really caught my eye Mm. and i i just loved it and um also side note chris Kristen mcnally did such an amazing job playing that character playing the evil witch Mm-hmm. Um, which made me love the costumes and the evil rats even more. Mm-hmm. It was it was like I shouldn't love it because she's like the bad character, but I I loved it. I um yeah, just overall just the costume design and mm-hmm. everything just really made me want to like again. I just wanted to touch everything like like if, if I was a child or something. If that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. Uh- yeah, even like I remember when we did the Nutcracker, we said the rat mask kind of looked kind of fake and very kind of put the fake head on. Mm-hmm. These rat heads looked a lot more, uh, I don't know if the word is realistic, but they looked a little bit more, they looked less fake. Like when they yeah. came out, I was like, okay, this actually, this actually is an upgrade rat from what we saw the last time. Like there was an upgrade in this costume. But yeah, the fact even like uh, Kristen had the cane, like that narrow black. Uh, cane that she had to move around with was like just the details or even like the king and queen like that corsety wigged queen look that she had to wear mm-hmm. was great once again it, it just told so much about each character like, even that the pompous mc of the court with his kind of ginger really curly wig they were just told you right away who he was there was some beautiful costume design character building work that was done really well uh anna how about you who was your or, 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 or what was your element of production design that you really wanted to give a kudos to? Yeah, all right. I'm just running through like uh, my memory of the whole production mm-hmm. and trying to remember what made me feel like what Alicia just described, like uh, like that sensory like tingliness that makes me want to reach out and get into that world. And you got you all might want to kick my butt for uh, what I'm gonna say, but. <laughs> um, in the frame of like costume and design, I didn't enjoy a lot of it, and I'm so sad to say this, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pick out the good, and then when people talk about the bad and the ugly later. But um, yeah, but I feel like there were some costumes I really did enjoy. Uh, so mm-hmm. to be fair, um, I enjoyed those. I think that really brought out their characters and allowed the dancers to showcase their best selves, I guess, or their best mm-hmm. character selves. And that goes back again to the Bluebird duo. I found the cat duo was um, really good at maneuvering its costumes as well. Like they were seemed to be really difficult to wear, but mm-hmm. um, they really 
created like a sense of uh, suspense of disbelief almost where it did really feel like they were cats, I guess, or cartoon cats, yeah. fairy tale ones. Uh, so I enjoyed some of those like duet. There's also, I believe, uh, Little Red Riding Hood and the Wolf. Like Bad yeah, Wolf. they show up. Belle and yeah. the Beast, I think, show up in there too. Right. The There's end. a bunch. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I enjoyed those duos. Those maybe like those too small at the end uh, in the third act. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I enjoyed those very much. Um, and I'll pick out two more quickly, uh, two more aspects of design and production uh, that maybe are a little bit um, subtle or a little bit less prominent, but I enjoyed them. And those are the um, actually the wreaths in the uh, group dance in the middle of the production. I can't recall if oh, that's yeah. like the start of act two or the end of act it one. It is. It is. It, it has yeah. the once upon a dream melody, the Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe the music actually enhanced that for me because the music is very melodic and mm-hmm. the way that they make geometric shapes with the little flower wreaths just was so soothing. It was just kind of mm-hmm. like Tetris, like everything falling into place. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I really enjoyed that. It was just pleasing mm-hmm. visually. And finally, last but not least, I really actually enjoyed the carriages they had so uh the evil fairy the carabas mm-hmm. she had a carriage of her own that sort of like mm-hmm. whooshed her around and then mm-hmm. later on the prince had a, his own uh carriage i guess uh led by the lilac fairy where mm-hmm. uh i guess they went up into aurora's sleeping chambers uh and yes. that was like a big curl it was just like a big baroque curly mm-hmm. cue thing arabesque mm-hmm. thing yeah i enjoyed those because i imagine it's kind of a a big task to get those working and make that also seamless and create again a suspension of disbelief where you believe that that's part of the whole set and not just like a machine like a little car driving around so i guess there was quite a bit to enjoy um uh yes and i'll stop there for now (laughs) all right all right perfect emma how about you what was what's your shout out I'm definitely going to echo everything that's been said about Carabas's outfit, um, her rats that were well dressed, and there's a little more integrity to their whole outfit. Um, and yes, I loved her her walking stick, her pointing stick, lovely yes. the whole thing. Um, I will say I watched this while I was like on the elliptical this morning. I watched part one, and I do have to say I like the one part that really excited me was when she went through the floor. She was just like, haha, goodbye. Yes. And I, I did yell out and I had these like noise canceling headphones and I was like, whoa. <laughs> so that was like <laughs> definitely my favorite part of the whole show. Um, thank you, production design element, for that. Yes, that was yes. very exciting. And also the mirror crack was pretty fun too. Yes, I love that special effect of her showing up in the mirror and that great no. My spell is broken, but that magic I would love a whole scene of it. The right I, I would love more of like the mirror dance where it's like her going through all these different mirrors watching because that's the whole magic of that right is that she can see into the different mirrors and see what's going on there mm-hmm. yeah I, I will say though for me my favorite production design was the set painting like the big backdrops that were used because this show actually compared to the nutcracker that we did before um was very sparse with set like there was usually like a usually like a staircase or like a throne off to the side but then the stage is left basically bare for the dancers to move 
And that really drew your eye to these beautiful mural fairy tale paintings that were done of these different court settings. And they were just stunning. Like the like having done at York, where you had to take like a like a scenic painting, set painting class where you had to like do the bit like be part of a bigger mural and had to match with the people around you so your colors all kind of met together. But like the amount of work that goes into painting those is incredibly time consuming. And the fact that when you do those wide shots with the camera and you see just the exquisite fairy tale, like it looked like a fairy tale. It looked, it looked almost like an illustration out of a fairy tale book. Like you picked up the Grimm fairy tale book, you opened it, and there's this beautiful uh, oil-based painting of, 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 of Sleeping Beauty. Like it was stunning and it, ma- and it didn't draw a lot of attention. It was just subtly there, layered in the background, just giving that bigger world feeling to it. And that was, and they were big things. Like when you realize just how tall that stage is, like the flies that they have to do in there. Like big stage and the fact they had to paint that. Like that just blew me away. I was very, very impressed with what they came up with here. So loved, loved, loved that. But let's get into what the weakest part of the production was. Anna, you've already kind of started to allude to some of the areas that you felt didn't quite hit its mark. So I'll let you kick this one off. Oh, I thank you. Oh, my God. I kind of really am excited to talk about it, but also I really don't want to because um, I know how hard, like as you just mentioned, how hard it is to achieve a lot of these production and design elements and how much work goes into it. So just before I say anything, I want to say, like, I admire all of it so much and I commend the people that do it. Um, I couldn't even imagine how it would begin to look to create such a huge production. That said, I will now make my complaints. <laughs> um, so, um, all right, I'm going to at the risk of just being contrary, I'm just going to like uh, list a few things that you mentioned and I'll bounce off of those. Um, there were moments in the production specifically, like uh, in the in the. Um, production value, I guess, that just made me want to see more. And it seemed like there could have been more. And a few of those moments, uh, and maybe that's comparatively to other productions I've seen of other ballets or operas, um, both live and uh, and virtually um, lately. So uh, one of those moments was actually the Kara uh, uh, Boss death scene that, that you mentioned with the crackling and the ah and the she she dies <laughs> in the window. Um, that was dramatic. That was awesome. But I almost wish that there was like um, that there was more of a uh, showdown between the yep. prince and the and Kara Boss, the evil fairy. Mm-hmm. I was hoping that there would be something else. Like you said, uh, Mackenzie, mm-hmm. like uh, maybe she could have turned into a dragon somehow. Like I don't know. Go something... like Maleficent there at the end. <laughs> yeah, something could have like happened there. I think that's kind of centered her a little bit more because mm-hmm. she was so important throughout the whole yeah. uh, process up until then or the plot mm-hmm. up until then. And that mm-hmm. just left me feeling kind of like it was cool, but it could have been cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then as for the scene paintings and the backdrop, um, mm-hmm. beautiful for sure. Like, and classical, mm-hmm. right? Like it really speaks to the 19th century, like romantic aesthetic and such. Um, but I do wish it, similarly to what I've seen in some other productions, that there was more of a sort of sense of transition of time included Mm. into the backdrop. I've seen a really good um, opera, actually, that created a very slow um, lighting transition scheme where, Mm -hmm. like, day turned into evening and evening into night and back Mm -hmm. and vice, like, you know, reversed. And you didn't notice that happening. Um, 
And for a story like Sleeping Beauty, where time is so important, uh, right? Like like a hundred years is supposed to pass. I wish there was yeah. a little bit more of a sense of a passing of time. And I'm going to try not to like rant too much here, but I'm just going to jump into one last point <laughs> uh, no, about the set away. design. Thank you. I have a lot to say. I was like really like... Uh, I had a, a big impact was made on me just through that whole experience of watching. But um, uh, speaking of the passage of time, there was one costume moment I really enjoyed. And that's, again, understated, where at the beginning of one of the acts, I believe it's like right after intermission, um, mm-hmm. one of the intermissions, a uh, hundred years passes and there's the hunting party with the prince and mm-hmm. the women are wearing different um, outfits. They're wearing outfits yes. that are more, what is it, um, 19th century, I think, or like late 18 yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. you know yeah Yeah, like it's more of a different skirt shape and i was like Mm -hmm. oh that's cool like it's fantasy but it's rooted in like a historical reality so you can see Mm -hmm. that 100 years have passed Mm -hmm. and but (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh to conclude and to sort of like this is my main i guess uh grievance this is my bone to pick with the Mm -hmm. production aside from that moment and the uh couple uh fantasy scenes fairy tale scenes at the end i didn't like the costumes i'll be mm-hmm. to- totally brutally honest i didn't like the fairy costumes i thought they looked unfinished yeah. it looked like somebody stuck on like some flower things and they were asymmetrical mm-hmm. but not in a intentional way like in a na- random way mm-hmm. uh, i did and and, and <laughs> i think that they prevented the choreography of the dancers um to be at the forefront, they distracted mm-hmm. from their lines and their movement. Um, mm-hmm. That's the point to which they were, I'm going to say this word and I feel bad, but gaudy. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, designers. I know that they do so, so much hard work, but um, I think that, yeah, the fairy costumes for me missed the mark entirely. And honestly, so did the uh, uh, prince and princess costumes, like the princess uh shirt top was a little bit i feel like like a fairy it looks like one of the fairies so when she came out in act two because it didn't set up the time transition really well that oh 16 years have passed and now Mm -hmm. she's growing up and this is the day she's going to prick her finger i was like wait is this another fairy that we're seeing here like uh, totally very right there was very little to indicate inside because they all were kind of those crowns and they had the same type of corsity uh with the design with the um tutu uh mm-hmm. like look as well like you're right thinking about it now i'm like you're right they're actually trying to identify which prince is which and which and who is princess aurora versus what the lilac fairy versus the blue fairy versus yeah. the whatever fairy it was tough i agree totally that was one of my main things actually thank you for bringing that up because mm-hmm. uh it was on my mind i kind of forgot it and, and that is that there was not enough difference i think in the color schemes mm-hmm. between the costumes to tell apart between the fairies and the princess and even aurora sometimes so you couldn't tell mm-hmm. who's who on on stage mm-hmm. um yes i have other grievances about like the aging thing where like the queen seems like she's the same age as aurora and like mm-hmm. aurora seems much older but the queen i don't know it was just a little strange and i feel like they could have done aging a little better yeah. um yeah so there you go <laughs> love that That's love that. that alicia how about you what was an element that didn't quite work for you as a newcomer to this ballet uh i'm not in along to a lot of what anna just kind of mentioned i did notice the aging thing with um 
the princess and the queen, they did look very similar in age by the end of it. And there wasn't any true distinction. Like the makeup people could have went in a little bit more on the queen at least. Mm -hmm. Um, But certain things that I, I wrote down some things that um, before Anna said anything, the Karabas death scene. I agree with you, Anna. That was, um, it was uh, anticlimactic. Um, yeah, it. I just was. I was ready for like a duel or something. Mm-hmm. But then the fairy godmother, she comes and she's waving and she's doing this and that with her arms. <laughs> and then uh, Carabas is on the ground, like crinkling. And I'm just thinking, that's it. You fell through the ground earlier. There was huge smoke and everything. I thought you had it in you to at least put up a good fight. Mm-hmm. And then we barely get to see her disappear in the mirror. Like I almost yeah. missed it. I wasn't mm-hmm. focused on her. I was focusing more, more mm-hmm. on Aurora at that time and the prince. Mm-hmm. So I just, I really wish there was more time spent on that death scene um, and the showdown or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, the confrontation and a little less time spent on the celebration of uh, Aurora's back. We're going to perform for the king and queen for like yeah. an hour. Um, because I I was starting to kind of doze off a bit. I'm just like, okay, another mm-hmm. performance. That's nice, but yeah. I was really hoping that the um, Carabas was gonna make another like surprise appearance, but then she surprise! was just <laughs> she was not dead. Yeah, I was really hoping she would come back, and then she just didn't. Um, she just had such a such a oh a wonderful opening appearance to at the beginning of the show, mm-hmm. and then she just kind of. Her storyline just kind of trickled out. And then at the very end, I mean, yes, like she was the bad character, but at the very end when the audience booed her, I don't know why I felt upset. Did everyone watch until that point? I was was watching. It's it's a very British theater thing to do. Okay. okay. I found like, like when I was over in, in the West End and I saw, for example, Les Mis, Mm -hmm. when the Tenardi is the innkeeper and his wife came out at the end, they got booed, and then and then when I was out in Cardiff, Wales, seeing a show, and that bad guy came out at the end of that musical. He also got booed, and he and the actor did the whole ah, like you okay. guys. So like, I, I think it's a very British <laughs> thing to do is to be very interactive. Like, uh, I, I, like when I was watching Les Mis, the audience was clapping along to Master of the House, like doing the clap on the beat. Like they were cheering and clapping. Like they're much more of an interactive audience than we are. I find. As us as oh. Canadian audiences are much more very, we sit and we will clap for you. Let's talk. <laughs> so, so when they put, I was like, okay, that's fun. Like, I, 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 and of course, the actress or the dancer or the dancer doing the role, the actress being the part, enjoyed it because it shows that oh, you got into me as a character. But I, I, okay, I totally get what you're sense. coming from. It, it, it can be very off-putting when you're in the audience <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like, why are you booing? We don't boo. <laughs> Yes, I was a bit caught off guard, but now that I know that that's more um, of a British thing, then that that's yeah. acceptable. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those are some of the weak points that I found within within the production. Yeah, yeah. Emma, okay, I'm so with you, Alicia. Act three and act four are just too long. Like mm-hmm. it is so <laughs> excessive. I forgot how excessive it was until I rewatched it, especially act three. I remember. Okay, I'll give a little anecdote. Um, so maybe I told this in our Nutcracker 
um, podcast, but I used to watch The Nutcracker like every day when I was you four. Did. Yes. I watched The Kira Ballet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I mentioned, I alternated days between The Kira Sleeping Beauty. I'm like, I'm over it, you guys. I'm not like an advocate for ballet, but I was four once and I did really obsess over these things. So these are the two ballets that I watched obsessively. So like, good job that you picked Sleeping Beauty. Otherwise, I'm out. I don't have any ballet history beyond these two ballets. <laughs> but I would obsessively watch. And I do remember always being like, can we skip this part? We're just hunting. Like this goes on for a while. And I was fast forward that act. So I do remember that. Um... And then I was rewatching it as an adult and thinking act four is so funny. And one of the things that I find funniest about ballet is when they finish a variation by like leaping off the stage. It's like, where are you going? You have to come back and ballet. That is the funniest choreography to me where it's like you're performing for the court and they're like, oh, and then they come right back. I don't know. Today, that just tickled me. I thought that was so silly. Um, okay. Then I do have to say, when they when um the court was put to sleep and everyone kind of fades away in my memory i have this beautiful image of like all of these people slowly melting and falling asleep and it felt like they kept like eight people on stage out of their cast of like a gajillion for that scene where this is like this helps me understand what's happening but they had like mm-hmm. a few people who fell asleep and they were just like and i was like what what does that mean that is so subtle <laughs> why'd you only let two people do that <laughs> so i thought that was really poorly done um and then that gets me to my main um the main thing that really hurt my heart um is in agreement with anna it's um the fairies costumes were just so wrong mm-hmm. um from this ballet that i used to be obsessed with mm-hmm. my childhood hero was what i called the purple fairy because i lilac was too hard so the purple fairy was my childhood icon i still have a photo of like the woman who did the kira version as the lilac fairy in this beautiful outfit and just something about being four there was purple it got me but this kind of looked like i don't know like grandma's kitchen on her tutu kind of thing like it was just so bizarre and what first upset me was when she was on stage i hadn't noticed her entrance I didn't know she was playing the lilac fairy. Like it took me a while to be like, is that her? Partly because of her outfit, partly because of the way it was designed and choreographed, I guess, her entrance. I thought that was really sad. Same with all of the fairies. That was really like a key moment. And I remember in in like my one frame of reference, in Act Two, she has this long purple dress that is so not ballet, like not traditional story ballet that we're used to seeing. It's just the tutu the whole time. I mean, there's one after where I believe she had a romantic tutu, like the long, flowy ones, and it was still in a beautiful color purple. The other one, it was just like a straight gown in mm-hmm. purple. And I remember being like, this lady, stunning at four. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought about it this time. Well, if, I, if I had watched this version when I was four, I probably wouldn't have been hooked. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. My hero is not very special in this, in this production. Yeah. Yeah. So... Actually, we've all kind of touched upon what my biggest complaint or weakest element of this production is, which is the adaptation of this fairy tale, which is, it was so bloated. Like, the first two acts are great. My only complaint about the second act is we didn't really set up that, oh, 16 years, Princess Aurora's grown up, we're good to go. Like, the first two acts were the strongest. And then the third act was, was a lot of hunting. 
And then I was like, okay, so where's the thorn bushes? Because like that's part of the original fairy tale is the prince needs to allow a fairy to clear the thorn bushes to get to Princess Aurora. That's part of this, the spell, basically, that the evil fairies put upon the castle is these thorn, these living thorn bushes basically come and, and trap other princes who have tried to come through. And and I mean, and just the fact that like they cleared all that really quickly. She didn't have like the Carabas, the Maleficent fairy didn't have the great death scene. It was very kind of oh, we're okay. And then and then the kiss came and I was like, really, we're at the kiss already. We still got like another like forty five minutes to go here. What the heck are we doing? And I was like, okay, now we're gonna have all these fairy tale creatures come out and 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 do their presentations. And I was like, not needed. Like the, like the valley should end with kiss. Uh, Aurora Prince ballet duet. Maybe each of them get a single solo dance moment. Come back together, bow. Everybody wakes up. Oh, we all dance. The end. Not another forty-five minutes of random people coming. Like, why Puss in Boots is in this? No idea. Like, he's just there, and it's like, what was going on? Take that time you took in Act Four. Give it back to, to, to like the third act or do something or trim it. Like you could cut about 30 minutes of this ballet and you could, you would have a much leaner, cleaner, tighter story that would be just as compelling to watch. Like by the time we got to act four and they were starting to do all their presentation stuff, I started looking at the runtime being like, how much longer is this? Like, like the only reason why I enjoyed act four so much was because it had a lot of the Disney music that I knew showing up so i was able to do like the where's waldo of which part of the show did they take the the main score from that kind of kept me going when i got a little bored there toward the end but it was so long at the end it was so bloated and i was like we don't need all this and i mean like i know the original fairy tale has like 12 good fairies and one bad fairy because number 13 is better or seven something like that there there's an excessive number of good fairies i was like can we trim some of this fairy stuff down like three good fairies Disney was right. Like three well-developed good fairies that each have their own personality. Give them a bit more time so we can connect with them and they can do a little bit more in the story. Like I couldn't keep track of all the fairies. And I just knew like, okay, all right, we have another fairy solo. Okay, here's another fairy solo. All right, and we got another one. And it was like, okay, so which one is the important one? Oh, it's this one here that is not very well-dressed. That's the Lila fairy. And I'm like, oh, like, yeah. Like for me, it was just, we got to trim this ballet down or like, Restaging it to here to get to focus the elements of the story a bit better. Because the music is gorgeous. Like Tchaikovsky wrote beautiful music. It's just the way this experience has been adapted is so frustratingly like bloated and not focusing. Like if they wanted to do more after the after the kiss, they could have taken the part that usually gets cut out of the uh, out of the, out of the adaptation, which is the prince's mother is actually part ogre and tries to eat the, the twins that the like Sleeping Beauty has. Like, and, and, that, and that's the, and there's a whole other villain that shows up. I mean, we could just choreograph that for Act 4. That could have been a fun way to end the show versus Puss in Boots doing a solo dance. I don't know. Like, for me, I just want this adaptation of this fairy tale, like, not the best. I would definitely say we, like, dramaturgs could come in here and do some reworking in this because yeah there was uh, like even though it was great the music kept me going and i was still doing very much like all right here we go uh like another bit of uh, 
another bit of bloat that we could easily trim a bit here. So yeah, there we go. Uh, but let's get into the question though. Uh, do we think this production is worth a watch? Emma, I'll let you start because this is a ballet you grew up on. So would you show this to someone or would you stick with your OG version that, that you mm. grew up on? I mean, I don't show ballet to anyone. It's not a part of my life. Um, there, I will say, as an ensemble, I'll acknowledge it was really well done. It was really well danced. I rarely get to see ballets so clean in an entire ensemble of dancers. So I, I should have shouted out to the cast earlier. That's rare for me to see something that polished. So depends who you are. Could you stick a kid in front of this and would they be interested for like two and a half hours? I'm not sure. Take a special the 1989 Kirov VHS if you're looking for a good time. Like, it's probably much better. Um, even though it'll be like, oh, quality. Um, check it out. I, I'm sure I do a have a version, but it might now. be, yeah, it might be idealized in my brain, but I, I do remember some things that are much better mm-hmm. that are undeniable. So, uh, it depends who you are. I find there's like ballet is so based on spectacle and like, mm-hmm. The just the wealth that's going on there, the mm-hmm. money of being in the theater and having that, like I don't mm-hmm. know how much translates in this box that we're watching from yeah. these days. So, if you're looking for, if you're a ballet buff, mm-hmm. looking for some pretty flawless dancing, it's a very clean production. Mm-hmm. If you're a kid, maybe I'm not mm-hmm. sure though. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, I didn't know. <laughs> Fair. That is a fair, fair assessment. Alicia, as the uh, Sleeping Beauty novice of the group, what sayeth you? Would this be something you'd want to revisit again? Um, that's an interesting way to phrase the question. Mm-hmm. But like, I personally wouldn't watch this again, or I probably wouldn't have watched it to begin with. I only watched it because like we were doing, we were reviewing it for a couple of Hemlock reviews. Uh, but if someone enjoys ballet a lot and they have to watch every performance that approaches them, then I would say for sure watch this one. I agree with Emma. Um, I don't have any dance training, but I I thought the dancing was flawless and very well done. And I was really impressed. Um, what else did I have in mind? Oh, right. I just felt like this one was had like a target audience mm-hmm. when the camera since we watched this on broadway hd when the camera did pan to the audience it was a lot of older people yeah um <laughs> the ballet <laughs> yes. right so i think if that's the audience uh that you fit into if that's a target audience that you um that you are in then sure mm-hmm. But if you're on the younger side, if you don't really watch ballet, um, then maybe not. Mm-hmm. I, I found a lot of the times that I was very tired watching this. I think just act three and act four, I just really started to, the music was just so soothing. And I just was really, really sleepy mm-hmm. by that time. So I couldn't imagine actually sitting in the audience and like trying to stay awake. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did really enjoy the costumes. And uh, even though the music was soothing the the orchestra did an amazing job throughout throughout the ballet and the dancers they were always on point and 
yeah, like I think I think yes, it is worth watching. For me personally, it's a no. But for others, they can go ahead and try it if they love ballet and uh, amazing dancing. Mm-hmm. Anna, how about you? I mean, I don't know. Do we? Do we? We never found out. Like, well, uh, uh, did you grow up on this particular ballet? Because I know you said you had kind of grown up on the Nutcracker a bit more. So, like, is this another ballet you kind of grew up knowing, like ahead of yeah. time? Yes, yes. So it's like Emma, like um. Uh, I watched it all the time when I was little. I think it was the Kira version as well, actually, because they did a bunch of recordings of ballets like Swan Lake and Nutcracker, I believe, and mm-hmm. a few others in the 70s, I think it was. And they have hilarious casting. Like, it's all Russian, right? But, um, <laughs> but like, the evil witches are just these, like, older men, and it's amazing, and it's campy, and I loved it. Um, and uh, so, yes, I was familiar with it. Uh, but it's not a ballet that I tend to like watch often or really even at all. Cause it's like you watch it once or twice, like let's say as an adult and you kind of get it. You're like, okay, I've seen it. It's not really hard to uh, remember like it's parts, right? You're like, okay, there's the fairies, there's the whatever, whatever. Like, I don't feel like there's a lot that is uh, left to unpack. Mm-hmm. It's like really, like you said, I think the word bloated, it kind of works. Mm-hmm. Um, to describe it because it's really like straightforward with the plot um, mm-hmm. really um, minimized like ballet is not famous for its good plots anyways but <laughs> uh, storytelling is like not the biggest strong suit but um, uh, but yeah like I think I just kind of have it in my, the back of my mind and like I do dance history research um, at school so mm-hmm. even there like I don't really feel the need to constantly revisit that and I wouldn't recommend the ballet to others to be honest with you like it wouldn't be my go-to um like honestly neither would the nutcracker be the nutcracker or swan lake like those three are really really famous but i feel like there's things to like there's things there that just like don't really translate well today Mm -hmm. so they're like time capsules right they're they're moments in history and you need a lot of context for that or a lot of changes uh, need to happen for it to become more interesting and more uh, appropriate for a contemporary audience. Also for children, like I wouldn't show, I wouldn't necessarily like sit a child in front of like a three hour ballet. Like, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> not, not, not really my first thing, to, you know, like my go-to thing. Um, there's lots of like more interesting, shorter ballets I would show like, or recommend to people like Firebird is a really mm. cool one. But anyways, that's like a, a whole different conversation. Um, but I would recommend the score. Like what I would do, I think, is I would just say like, and I feel like I probably have done this before, like as in, you know, just nerding out with uh, friends, uh, listening to the Sleeping Beauty score, like while you're cleaning Mm -hmm. or folding laundry, that is nice. Like it really is soothing, like we talked about Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. and uh, and lovely. Like, I just think it's a really nice, um, uh, pleasant and like a, I don't know, like it's almost stop, like reflective, almost uh, mm-hmm. a musical score that can really get you into a creative mindset. Like I would recommend it for people to make art too, like to paint or sketch to yeah. or something. You don't need to watch the whole mm-hmm. ballet. You can just listen to Tchaikovsky's yeah. music. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will say for me, this is the one ballet I've always wanted to see because of the score. Like this, like as I said before we started about I grew up watching the Disney movie Sleeping Beauty because I had bought the VHS. That was my first big purchase as a kid. 25 bucks at Sears. Still have that VHS somewhere in this house. 
But like the score, and my parents told me how like this is like the music is part of a ballet. Like it was written by Tchaikovsky, and he wrote the ballet, a ballet version, which is a dance like dance version of this. And I've always been intrigued about seeing it because I've never seen it. So this was the first time I actually finally got to see it, and because of how bloated it was. I was a little bit deterred because I was like, well, maybe so. Maybe I have to go see this live to really kind of get a final assessment of does this live up or, or am I really just in love with the score? Because I do love the score. Like today I was working mowing the lawn and such and I had and I had the score on like like the whole the um, bump, like the fairy music. The and it just escalates and builds and it was great like it had such a great beat to it or there's the very melodic the da 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 like so many hummable melodies like i would say this melody or this score is so much more hummable to me than like nutcracker like nutcracker has like there like there's the very famous or the sugar plum uh motif those are kind of the two that jumped to me right away from nutcracker but like but this one i can think of so many different melodies and, and bits and pieces that like, that i could hum right now um that is just so expressive so for me like i agree with you uh anna that just listen to the score to be honest like still watch the ballet at least once i would say if you like the score if you listen to the score and you like the score, watch the ballet once because it gives you the full picture of what Tchaikovsky was going for, like why he wrote this two and a half hour ballet or two and a half hour bit of music. You now finally get to see what's going on because your mind can give you so many different images when you hear this music that, <clears throat> that yeah, like I kind of go, just watch it once. And if you like the score, just keep listening to the score because I know I do. Like when I'm in the kitchen, uh, I always put on the fairies and the kitchen music from uh because it's once again it's just so like boppy like it's just you're you're moving your things around you're cooking you're stirring and i mean like i wish i had a magic wand so i could actually like have some like of the things do it by themselves so like i <laughs> love like I, I do love the score the score for me is the the highlight of this ballet easily it's it's it's, it's the score but yeah like i would say if you like the score watch the ballet if the score does nothing for you then you can go ahead and skip uh, ahead. So there we go. All right, let's get into some more what we call these play or text-based questions, but there really isn't any text system. So more ballet-focused questions. Let's put it that way. So first off, we have uh, the Nutcracker and Sleeping Beauty both have very similar plot structures. We have plot-heavy first bit, and then toward the end, it kind of has a bit more of an episodic two dancers, one dancer solo bits toward the end. Uh, so. Between these two ballets, which do we feel communicates a story more effectively? Uh, Emma, I'll let you start this one because, as you said, you watched both on, on, on a daily rotating basis. So, like, looking back, and also we can look at the two productions that we just saw with the Royal Ballet. Like, which do you feel does a better job with its storytelling? I mean, the two that we that we have watched these particular mm -hmm. versions. I definitely think, I mean, the Nutcracker, there's so much more that happens. Yes. There's a lot more excitement. Mm -hmm. This really is a stretched Sleeping Beauty, this particular one that we just watched. So for that, I would definitely say the Nutcracker mm -hmm. really gets across its plot more effectively. Mm -hmm. That said, 
please listen to our previous podcast episode because mm-hmm. I do have a lot of feelings about the plots in the yes. Nutcracker and do hope they've used this year to re-choreograph some things. Um, but I do think they they get across what they got across more effectively in the Nutcracker. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. major, major flag there for anyone listening. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Alicia, uh, or, or, yeah, Alicia, how about you? Well, I I wasn't on the panel for the Nutcracker, but I did uh, peek in just a random scene just to get a vibe of the the ballet. And I already kind of connected with the Nutcracker more. And I think it's just because everyone knows, roughly knows the Nutcracker. It's also um, like around Christmas time. So when I was watching the little, when I w- did watch the little bits and pieces, I saw the Christmas tree and mm-hmm. like the little Christmas decorations. And I already immediately connected with the set more than Sleeping Beauty. So just from, if anyone is like watching or listening and relates to what I'm saying and ha- just doesn't necessarily watch uh, ballet or anything, mm-hmm. I would already be recommending the nutcracker and i i feel bad because i watched the full sleeping beauty but um there were just times when i wasn't really sure what was going on and i think that's just because as we mentioned it was a bit bloated so i was kind of getting lost in the bloat i guess Mm -hmm. Uh, emma brought up a really interesting thing about how the fairy one of the good fairy fairies were um putting the court's people to sleep I had no idea what was going on in that section. But when I was I, when I took a look at the 1959 Sleeping Beauty, and I also read um, a little snippet of the the original story. Yeah, yeah, because Mackenzie shared with us mm-hmm. um, the actual story just so we could all get refreshed. I realized, like, oh, that's what she was doing. Mm-hmm. I did not know she was putting them to sleep. So just certain things I think weren't conveyed the best in this production. But again, I would like to emphasize I have not seen the Nutcracker like that. So this is all kind of my weird biased opinion on that answer. No, that's great. No, that's a great a viewpoint from somebody who isn't as familiar in the, in, the, in the world of ballet and dance. Like that's a really great like perspective to bring in. So thank you. Don't ever apologize for that. <laughs> uh, Anna, how about you? Like what was your recommendation between the two? I entirely agree with Alicia and Emma. It's an easy one. It's the Nutcracker is more plot driven. And so it, um, creates a better story. I think like it's just mm-hmm. a lot more attention was placed, I think, on story in that production. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's shorter. So that helps. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, uh, I think it's quite a bit shorter. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think uh, that's really it. Like, it's quite an easy one for me. I think um, there's, oh, one thing I wanted really to bring up. I just remembered it. Mm-hmm. And it's like the reason why I believe the Nutcracker is stronger at the storytelling component is um, because it's heroin. So was it Clara? I believe Marie yeah. Clara depends on um, yeah. the production. Um, she, she drives the story along. So this mm-hmm. sort of female heroine is the one who we see throughout the entire production mm-hmm. and we get to see her grow up in a way. So I think that's like one of the saving graces of Nutcracker is this kind of this coming of age story. Like if there's anything that could be salvaged in the plot, mm-hmm. 
that might be it. Like it, it could be turned into something nice in, in that mm-hmm. sense, like a Bildungsroman or whatever. <laughs> but um, but for the Sleeping Beauty, you have the title Sleeping Beauty. So you expect to see the Sleeping Beauty's story mm-hmm. and you don't get to see her for so much of the production. And so I feel like her story is missing. And I think that actually ties into one of the later questions we'll discuss. So I will leave it at that. But I think that's one of the major reasons why I would uh, recommend the Nutcracker over Sleeping Beauty and that I believe Nutcracker is a better story um, than the particular rendition of the Sleeping Beauty that this ballet adapts. Well, I'm going to shock everyone here, but I'm going to say Sleeping Beauty uh, I felt was a much better uh, ballet for communicating the story. Wow. Uh, yes. I mean, <laughs> I was able to follow the plot of Sleeping Beauty much more clearly than Nutcracker. Like, particularly towards the end of Nutcracker, when we're at the Sugar Plum Palace and we're getting all those episodic things going on there. Like, I was like, why is this happening here? At least with this, when we got to Act Four, we had once again the similar duet presentation sequence uh that at least i was like okay i get it it's the wedding we're doing a bit of show off uh dance and music here like we're, we're like we're just showing it off here uh and i mean like once i it could also just i could also distribute to you i know the sleeping beauty fairy tale way more than i do the nutcracker like i know the general concept of the nutcracker girl gets nutcracker for christmas is it a dream? Is it a dream? When she goes on an adventure with the Nutcracker, oh, there's the Rat King, and there's the Sugar Plum Fairy. Like, generally speaking, that's kind of the, the bullet point version I know of the Nutcracker. Sleeping Beauty, on the other hand, I was able to follow pretty, pretty, pretty closely with, okay, you're putting everybody to sleep. I mean, there's a few moments, like I said, the 16 year jump when Sleeping Beauty's now grown. That confused me for a minute there. I was like, okay, wait, where are we now? Okay, got it. And like, the hunt went on a little bit long, so I was like, okay. All right, move this bit of the story along here. But for the most part, I was able to follow it pretty well. So I think for me, I would go with Sleeping Beauty. Now, that being said, we do have a definite heroine problem, meaning the female protagonist, not the drug. Uh, <laughs> but yes, 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 right? I mean, you never know. Somebody may want, may want a clarification on that. But yes, yeah, yeah. Our female lead, there is a slight issue with the original fairy so the fact that she is very inactive. It has, and is kind of like if you took out Act Four, she'd only really be in the second act, and that's it. Um, we we will get into more about what needs to be done with that to adapt that further. But yeah, I would say if it's if a toss up between Nutcracker and Sleeping Beauty, I would go with Sleeping Beauty for now. But mind you, if I see another Nutcracker that's really good at clarifying the story for me, then my answer may swap again. But at this point, I'm going with Sleeping Beauty. But there we Making go. Making me question everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Wait a second. <laughs> I do like when I get to do that to people. That is, that's half the fun of these conversations. <laughs> somebody brings something up and it's like, oh, wow, right. Okay, yes. Uh, new, like, new thought. Um, but there we go. All right, let's get into the next question, which is, so Sleeping Beauty is one of the more frequently adapted fairy tales. Like, if you go on the Wikipedia page, they have a section for dances, for TV, for movies, like, this is a very common fairy tale that gets adapted throughout its its long history. Uh, so how does this ballet compare to other adaptations of this fairy tale? Most notably, we know about the 1959 Disney film, and we've also had the remake with Maleficent with Angelina Jolie. So there's been some resurgence of Sleeping Beauty interest in the world. 
and we've had this very famous cartoon. Uh, but and then also a follow-up is that is how have later permutations of this uh, story taken influence from the Tchaikovsky ballet, if they have? Uh, so, uh, and I'll let you start this one. All right. Um, first, can I just say like uh, how much I appreciate how much you love the cartoon, Mackenzie? Like I'm so. <laughs> I'm so amazing. Like I'm, and I'm also um, of that. Like I'm in that camp as well because mm-hmm. I watched it for the first time. And I was like three and a half, probably. Yep. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and it was like one of the first ones. I actually I was learning English then. I'm I was born in Ukraine, and my family was living in Hong Kong then. And so actually, the English uh, was the language in our community. And I was like learning English through that through that cartoon and other Disney cartoons. So oh, it's like God. very nostalgic for me for sure. Yeah. Um, even though like, of course, I think to answer like the last part of your question, the 1959 Disney cartoon takes a lot from the Tchaikovsky, uh, ballet version. I think that, um, um, it carries with it some of the shortcomings, like some of the Mm -hmm. plot holes. Um, I won't bother going into them now. 16 lines in that entire cartoon. Yeah. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, there's a little bit of like a strange... Mm -hmm. Well, not strange. Like, it's just like a little bit of like a bummer, I guess. In, in a way, yeah. when you watch, when you're grown up, you're like, oh, really enjoy this when I was a kid. But there's like plot holes all over the place. Um, and just like, um, I guess uh, uh, things are skimmed over, right? Uh, yes. Where they could be developed a little bit further. Yeah. So we skip that 16 year time span very quickly. And it's very quickly sewn up with Maleficent's men were not looking in the right spot. They kept looking for a baby for 16 years. Yeah, how funny. Like, that how... solves the entire 16-year yeah. gap of history. Yeah, yeah, like how hilarious. Like, you notice, like, like the, like, I just, I'm just uh, sort of imagining the script meetings, like, in 1958 of Disney, like, uh, yeah. uh, writers and whatever. And they're like, yeah, we'll just, like, you know, like, uh, put a Band-Aid on this. Like, just ignore that. Like, whatever, yeah. whatever. It must have been, like, hilarious at that time. Yes. Uh, for them. But um, but yeah, so I did enjoy that very much. I think uh, I noticed now that it borrows a lot from the ballet. So mm-hmm. like, eh, you know, some parts are like yeah. a little bit meh. But I really appreciate the way that, as you mentioned in the beginning, the um, music is like transposed or adapted into the cartoon mm-hmm. 1959 version <laughs> um, to... Um, create a sense of character so each yeah. uh, of the characters has their like theme like their mm-hmm. motif, i guess and they're yeah. totally different than the ballet right so yeah. i was also i watched the ballet later on probably when i was like six or seven five six seven uh cure of recording mm-hmm. uh like emma and so um that was again like surprising to me i didn't um realize that some of the like the cat uh duo the mm-hmm. puss and boots and white cat yeah. uh, are totally different like scenario in the cartoon right that's yep. the like creepy maleficent theme yes the creepy pr- pricking the finger theme so mm-hmm. i think that's actually really fun i appreciate mm-hmm. that sort of original use of the music um am i answering the question is that like can you repeat some yeah. of the yeah yeah for sure so yeah the question so yeah the main kind of question was how does this ballet compare to the other adaptations of the fairy mm-hmm. tale how have how have later permutations taken influence from tchaikovsky's ballet Right, right. Okay, okay. I've so that's covered like, most of the bases there. Yeah, like for the cartoon, like that's that's that, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I still kind of like it. It's really nostalgic. I just want to mention one thing, and that is, okay, so I have Disney Plus, the channel, right? Yeah. I pay for it, and I pay dearly, so <laughs> every month. Um, and uh, I got it so that I could watch The Simpsons, but I'm also <laughs> sometimes 
<laughs> digging my toes into Disney movies again, just for nostalgia's sake. And I went right in because of this question uh, mm-hmm. that you brought, like you brought to us uh, prior to this podcast. And I watched Maleficent and I watched Maleficent, the sequel. Yeah. And it what like it just it wasn't it for me. I I don't know. I just no nope. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Trust me. I can go on a whole rant about those ancient Jolinas. She could, was great. The adaptation, on the other hand, is a yeah. whole other story. What they did, it was that weird fairy tale, and what I could see what they were going for, and it actually ties in with my. Well, our final question. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I won't go into it too much. I just want to say okay. that, like, the the Maleficence, like, the Hollywoody, like, fight scene, like, the 20-minute, like, CGI fight scenes in Maleficent and the Maleficent mm-hmm. the sequel that are, like, so unnecessary are mm-hmm. on par with me, are, like, the equivalent to me of, like, the 10 to 20-minute, I don't know, however, however many minute, uh, solos in The Sleeping Beauty that could just be yeah. cut out. Like, that's the <laughs> parallel for me. Yes. So I feel like they didn't try to adapt that boring sort of mm-hmm. uh, show-offiness, yeah. the, like, technical, mm-hmm. like, uh, bravado that, like, really sacrifices the plot. They didn't mm-hmm. try to uh, borrow that, but they still, like, they they carried it over in a different way. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like looking back at that 1959 climax of the story with Maleficent, it's only like five, ten minutes max. Like the whole dragon, which is the most iconic part of that whole third act battle, is maybe a minute. Like I remember listening to the commentary with like uh, uh, animators from the 90s while you're watching. They're like, "Wow!" Like we, I always thought the dragon fight was so much longer, but it's like 30 seconds and it's over. Like it's like they were very lean on their storytelling of that fifty nine uh film. Like it's like it's sixty it's sixty, sixty five minutes. It's not long. But what they did was really remarkable there. So Yeah. Uh Emma, how about you? What is your thoughts on this question? Well, I'll keep it brief because I have none of that knowledge that is <laughs> <laughs> all those versions. I have only seen this one, the Kirov's version from like possibly eighty nine and the cartoon back in the day when I was a kid. It was not my top rotation. I was more of a Beauty and the Beast, mm. Lion King, Aladdin yeah. type of VHSer, but yeah. it made it in occasionally. I'm pretty sure it's somewhere. Mm-hmm. My parents' basement, maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, so I can't actually answer part two, but the uh, Kirov version. <laughs> Go for the Kirov. 89. So at. good. That's all I got, though. I'll have to watch this version now. Just to Me see too. like how different it is. Like I'm now really intrigued to go back and rewatch one like the, like this older ballet version. Just but be like me and fast forward Act Three. Okay, all right. I'll fast forward through Act Three. Yeah. Just hunting is fun. Okay, it's just oh, it's so melodramatic. Like Soviet dancers are just so like ah. Oh. <laughs> well, Soviet Russia. I mean, oh, to my three year old self. Everything is life or death. Exactly, life or death. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia, how about you? What are your thoughts? Like, uh, besides this ballet, did you know other versions of this story, or is this kind of one of those experiences that wasn't big on the, uh, on your radar growing up? Uh, I was more of a Snow White Cinderella kind mm-hmm. of girl. Um, so similar to Emma, I I'm not super familiar with the 1959 version, but I've definitely watched mm-hmm. it at some point in my life, and. Uh, before we hopped on the panel today, I did take another peek at it, like for like 
three minutes. I, yeah. I was like, okay, I get it. I got, got the gist of it. Um, and the comparisons that I would make in terms of the, the ballet would be the costumes. I felt like the costumes um, for the ballet mm-hmm. and the 1959 version were very period piece. So yeah. that I was like, okay, I can see the comparison here. And I think if I continued to watch the 1959 version, I would also recognize the music and the yes. ballet uh, comparison. So I think that's mm-hmm. really cool. Um, I haven't watched Maleficent, but I heard it was really good. So now I need to watch it because I'm hearing yeah. what Anna has said. Mackenzie, you also have your thoughts and opinions there. Yeah, yes, I do. <laughs> so now I'm not sure. Um, but give like, it a watch. I, like, give the first one a watch. I would say. I mean, watch the the, the fifty nine because that's mm-hmm. where they take the inspo from, and then yeah. watch Maleficent because that gives you a better picture of where they were starting from, so you can kind of see where they went when they went back and did the remake. Uh, but I will say, this ballet though is the closest adaptation to the actual original fairy tale. Like, if you go online and you read the pay the half page. OG fairy tale. This is pretty spot on to what it is. Like, a whole bunch of fairies show up, they do their thing. One bad fairy shows up, does the curse. 16 years pass, evil fairy disguises herself, prick the finger, uh, Aurora out, prince comes along, kisses her, wakes her up. The end. And if you do want to read the sequel about the evil ogress mother in law, which has a whole other bit of context about that fact is the evil mother-in-law you can get into. Um, but like, this is a pretty close. And then from there, we've kind of departed as we've gone further and further along in history. Uh, we, we've seen newer reimagines of this uh, fairy tale. But yeah, the ballet, very close. And I mean, you can see, I mean, the biggest obvious, obvious connection to the other influences is the music. The score is what's really kind of Terry Ford. I mean, even up to when the Maleficent trailers were coming out, they were using the Once Upon a Dream song uh, as their marketing tool with Lana Del Rey doing the remix creepy version. This, the ballet, it's, it's, it's not referenced very much because it is so close to the original fairy tale that we've now gone so much further down the line with trying to modernize this fairy tale that going back to the older version, it's kind of like, you can take the general plot and you can take the score because the score is the most iconic bit that everybody knows. But for the most part, the ballet is kind of the ballet. It's, it's stuck to be its own thing. Like, like going through the other versions of Sleeping Beauty that are out there, basically only Disney is the one that's taken any ode to the fairy, to the uh, ballet, but that's because Walt Disney knew the ballet. So that's why he chose to replace all the original songs they wrote for the for the movie with the ballet music except for the one which is the once upon a dream that's the only carryover song from when they from the original concept but the score kind of took replaced all the other music they had done so that that's kind of that for that question all right let's Mm -hmm. get into the last bit of this which is uh this fairy tale features a very simplistic plot an inactive heroine and a fairly dated slash sexist views on relationships slash gender roles. Then we got some problems here. So how can we update the source material for a contemporary audience? Uh, Emma, since last time you were talking all about redoing Nutcracker, how would you tackle it this time with Sleeping Beauty? 
Oh man, where do you start? Where do you start? Yeah. <laughs> Little sexual assaulty this one, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Um oh, it's a problem. So in the context of the ballet, it's kind of even harder. Because ballet is just a sexist art form. Like part of my soul dies when I watch ballet. Because it's just the gender divide is concrete. It's woven into the movement material. It's woven into what the, is on their feet, how they're either constricted, how they're idolized. It's in the fabric of what ballet is. So what can be done really from this like starting place is just where my depressed head goes. But <laughs> there are so many problems and yes like the nutcracker which is just dealing with some serious racism issues that i hope are being solved but like will they i don't have a ton of faith where do you go in this world that is just so already in a hole and that is like holding to tradition so like what can you re-choreograph like even in the bows in this production I saw one Asian female with like the sparkly blonde wig piece attached to her head. And you're just like, that sucks. Um, little things like that, that are just, it's everywhere. So I'll touch on something that I did enjoy that I, it kind of goes back to what Anna was saying about our memories of the Kira version where they, it was a very ballet thing. So they had a man playing the witch. And, you know, it was funny and blah, blah, blah. But it was like, at least in this production, a woman could be evil. Like, it didn't mm. have to be played by a man. So two sides of that, like, it was nice to have some gender swapping or some mm. luxury, but it was only ever, the males would only ever play females if it was for comedy or to play them when they're evil. Yeah. So at least this is like, well, we'll have a woman be evil. Oh. Shock the old people, I guess. So, I mean, are they? Is that a baby step? Do I? Do we commend them on that? Probably not. Will it ever be? Whoever wants to wear point shoes, wear them. Whoever doesn't, if you want to take them off and do bigger jumps, go for it. Mm-hmm. Probably not. It's like when we tie the stories to ballet. I don't know how far you can go because it is so sexist down to its core mm-hmm. that it's like pulling hairs. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the depressing. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I'm Someone not bring it back out. Your... Someone find a way. All right, all right. Anna, can Anna, can you find a way? How I can, can try to modernize it. <laughs> Alrighty, Emma. This is a challenge I will accept. Um, okay, so <laughs> I think there's a few things, and this is just going from my sort of hours of just sitting and wondering the same things as you are, Emma, and like trying to wrap my head around how to go forward. Um, there are difficulties for sure, but I think there are some things that can be done. There's a like any art form. I think there's a lot of potential yet left unexplored and that a uh, sort of um, uh, overly zealous attachment to tradition stops that from being explored. So, um, so I could see like adaptations of the Sleeping Beauty uh, that are really fun. <laughs> One of the things that I can think of um is okay so for example uh when there we have animals performing right you could do a lot i feel mm-hmm. personally i don't know how others would um uh think uh or approach that because some people might say like you have to stick to what it was in the 19th century i don't believe so i think we could still have like a sleeping beauty with a fun twist so uh mm-hmm. i actually i'm gonna refer to another ballet that i recently saw and that's 
A Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, mm. I believe it's Frederick Ashton's, uh, who also just uh, choreographed some of this ballet, uh, coincidentally. So uh, in that ballet, there's the there's Puck. Um, yes. And then and there's Bottom, right? And they're really interesting yeah. characters. So just focusing in on Bottom, I believe it was, uh, is performed on point by a male ballerino, by a male dancer. And that's fun. Like, I feel like that's really cool. You see that and it's a little bit refreshing. It's a mild sort of, well, for some it's not, for some it's kind of a really, uh, it's a huge travesty. But I think it's a really interesting thing to do on stage. And it can be really, um, I guess, like reviving in a way. Like, it could, it's something different. So you could do like the maybe blue bird duo or the puss in boots and white cat duo, any of those animal fairy tale things. You could you could gender swap. Um and so that led me to thinking as Emma was speaking to like a really drastic change that could happen too and uh in an adaptation of Sleeping Beauty. And I'm just wondering like what if you were to gender swap Aurora and Prince Florimund. Like, what if, I don't know, what if the prince was to fall asleep and then Aurora goes on a quest? Something like that. I think gender swaps are really interesting and ballet can be done really effectively. Um, and a lot of the times they're done with either villains, like Emma was saying with the, or like we discussed before with uh, Karabas, uh, alter- alternately being played by older males and then here with uh, being played by a, by a ballerina. Um, and with animals, but I think it'll be interesting to do it perhaps with the lead characters. That could be interesting. I don't think the audience would be the same for that kind of Sleeping Beauty, as uh, Alicia pointed out <laughs> earlier. I don't know what those people might think about it that we saw on the uh, in the seats at the Royal Opera House, <laughs> but maybe elsewhere it could be an interesting switch. Um, yeah. There's that. I think, I mean, those are just like some ideas. Yeah. It doesn't fix the situation. That's for sure. It doesn't fix the plot, but yeah. it could. Yeah, the fairy tale plot's always a problem. Like, yeah. Like the whole trope of the prince comes and kisses the princess to wake her up. That's, exactly. That's always, unfortunately, like, I mean, Maleficent did do a new version of that with Angelina Jolie being the one to wake Aurora up, not Prince Philip. And they actually make a joke about that, that he can't wake her up. Yeah. Um, yeah, he kisses her just for like uh, Alicia and Emma. He kisses her and it doesn't work. And then Maleficent comes up and kisses her on the forehead as her motherly figure, as the one who really loves her uh, because she's been watching over her her whole life, kind of spooking her, but she really grows to love her. And that's like gender swap there, I guess. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, I mean, Alicia, for you, as someone who's always kind of come up with new, innovative ways to interpret text, what would you do with this ballet or even this fairy tale story? How would you adapt it now for a modern audience? Um, I, well, what I have or what I thought about was, I guess, similar to the Maleficent idea or because it's already done. Um, what I wanted, like, as I already mentioned, I wanted to see more from the uh, fairy that came to rescue Aurora. So I wouldn't, yeah loved if it was just her and like the prince was kind of doing his own thing Mm -hmm. but i would love if the fairy was more i guess aggressive is the word i'm looking for Mm -hmm. like she was the one she was actually the hero and it wasn't the male hero who kisses aurora like maybe the fairy does it or something i just wanted more from her because i thought she was a really cool Mm -hmm. uh character and she did a lot she had the magical aspect to it the prince didn't Mm -hmm. Um, so I would would love if somehow in an adaptation, 
Uh, and I think in this, the ballet that we've, we watched, I feel like it, it could have been done here. So mm -hmm. I think that would have been really a really cool twist. Mm -hmm. Also, this is just the fairy tale itself. But in terms of the prince kissing Aurora, and then they fall in love and yada yada. Um, with this with this rendition, maybe I just wasn't focused enough, but I didn't really see that aspect of them falling in love. Maybe it was with the dancing and then all of a sudden everything was perfect again. Or maybe they did like a flash forward to when they're just uh, performing for the king and queen. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think it'd be a really cool idea if let's say the prince rescues Aurora. That does happen. Mm -hmm. But they don't really fall in love. They just become like really cool friends. Mm -hmm. Go separate ways. Yeah. That he did that one really cool thing for her and that's it. They have a really huge party to celebrate that, that mm -hmm. she's awake and alive. I think that'd be a really interesting adaptation. Mm -hmm. Maybe they eventually, a couple years down the, down mm -hmm. the line, they fall in love because they realize mm -hmm. like, hey, you guys could use that one time. Mm -hmm. And we still have that whole like fairy tale aspect. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to marry someone just because they kiss you and they yeah. wake you up from the dead. You don't have to do that. <laughs> that's kind of where I'm getting at. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I also, mean... Also, I... Oh, sorry. No, no, go, go. No, I, you go first. I'm so curious. Where does her girl gang go? Like, from Act 1, there are all these fairies. Like, I want to see them come fight. Like, yeah. there's that one fairy who's, like, definitely on cocaine. Like, going way too... <laughs> like, where is she in the fight? I want to see her come back. <laughs> she's a bird, right? She's, like, the bird fairy. And she's just, yes. like, flittering around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. She's yeah. <laughs> Right. Would never want to dance that. That's way too fast. Uh, yeah, I mean, once again, this kind of what we I was alluding to earlier in the last question of the way we keep adapting this fairy tale as we go along is a really interesting thing. And I think both the 59 story and the uh, Maleficent remake both improved on elements of the story and they focus in different ways. And I think you could take some of those elements and get them back into the fairy tale. Or back into the ballet version. Like, for example, the whole uh, Lilac Fairy being the one to wake Aurora up. I think that is a great alternative that you could do that way. Or, I mean, you could even take it where something that I thought they were going to go with in the movie is, sure, Maleficent wants the curse to be broken, but she does it by testing Prince Philip. And that's why she does the thorn bush cat kidnapping the dragon. Like, she's doing these prove your true love. And the fact that Prince Philip is shown at the christening of Aurora at the beginning of the film. So it sets up that he's not just some random guy wandering in the forest and, oh, surprise! And the fact that Prince Philip in the Disney movie is willing to give up his uh, crown and basically goes, I'm not going to marry a princess father. I'm going to go marry the peasant girl in the woods. Like, there is something about his virtuous nature that, he, that, that I think you can take some of those elements and get them back into sort of like, why not have a young Prince Florian show up at the christening? And have him looking at Princess Aurora. So we don't just get him randomly in Act 3 at a hunting party. And it's like, no connection to you or no connection to your um, uh, princess here. At least now we get some of that built in there. Seeing so, I, And the fact that the two film versions both are so great at highlighting female power. Like 59 was all about the three good theories of Maleficent. In the recent remake, it was Maleficent and Aurora getting the female spotlight and the fact that we get and I think there are ways you can do that in the ballet of giving 
a little bit more to which once again it would just take some dramaturgy of maybe let's cut puss and boots and give that music to something else in the story that we can actually develop a little bit for like hey let's fill that 16 year gap and maybe lilac fairy and sleeping beauty princess aurora have a duet together and that shows their growing bond with one another that that sets up why lilac fairy will be the one who ultimately is watching over aurora for these hundred years and ultimately she's the one that is able to break the, is able to break the spell at the end like i think there are really subtle touches and ways you can take elements from these films that that you can really kind of add to the ballet and adapt the ballet in that way like you could really do some really cool stuff here and really highlight aurora in the in the in the, in the carabas and in the lilac fairy like there is some really good elements you could take from those other adaptations that highlight the female power that the story can have if you're telling it correctly um, and adapting it further. So, yeah, I do think there's potential here. You just got to do some reworking a bit. And I, and I, I, and I mean, if that means you got to cut a little bit of the score and do a little bit of what the Disney did, where they took the best elements or best motifs and honed it down a bit, so be it. I mean, we've, I mean, I, I, as we've all said, this ballet has been around since the 1800s or whatever, early 1900s. Like, We've lived a long time with the current version we got. I think it's okay if we start subtly doing some tweaks to the story and giving it a new bit of life. Because I think that's why this fairy tale is so well adapted. Is because it's it is such a blank slate. Like there's no second act of the original fairy tale. Like Act One is fairy fairies come, they bless the baby. Evil fairy comes, places the curse, hurt the finger, Sleeping Beauty out, a hundred years. Prince Kiss, the end. Like, there's a lot of stuff in there that you can add and change to that story. I think that's why it's so open for adaptation is because you can take certain elements and readapt them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's something here. I think, I, 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 think, I think we all put our heads together and came up with a new ballet. We can come up with something really cool. I am full on in support of that. Let's do it. Let's write Let's a new do ballet. do it. There we go, everybody. We've made it through our 50th episode. Now, if you would like us to come back to finish our Tchaikovsky trilogy with this panel for Swan Lake, let us know. That could be a way to end all this as we get to the third Tchaikovsky, because we've done two now. It seems only fitting we do a third. <laughs> but in the meantime, though, let's find out where we can find everybody on the socials, because I'm sure people will have a lot to talk about and say. So, Emma, where can people find and follow you? Um, my socials not super happening, but do come to my website, emmakerson.ca, E-M-M-A-K-E-R-S-O-N.ca. Perfect. It's linked yeah, in the bio below. Perfect. Alicia, where can people find and follow you? You can find me on Instagram. My at is it is Alicia Plummer. You can also follow me on TikTok, which is my at is hi Alicia by Alicia. Love that. So funny. <laughs> Wonderful. And Anna, where can people find and follow you? I'm a bit scattered online, but I do have a personal Instagram. Feel free to follow me. It's uh, at Rocco Compost <laughs> wordplay. So it's R O C O C O M P O S T. Um, and also, yeah, if you look up the Center for Drama, Theater, and Performance Cities at University of Toronto, you can find mine and Emma's profiles on there. And a do believe that my uh, socials are linked there as well. I have a little website too. So check me out at the Center for Drama. Love that. We most certainly will. And you can find and follow me at Mackenzie Horner. Also on social media platforms, you can follow my podcast before the downbeat where we are 
talking all about musicals. Uh, we would have just released our episode all about you're in town. That's right. A musical album where people have to pay to go pee is the one we just talked about. Great, great comedy show. Very funny. <clears throat> Actually has a lot to say politically. Uh, so check that out. Uh, but in the meantime, everybody, we will say adieu for the time being. Go on over to Disney Plus. Watch the Maleficence. Watch the 59 films. Let us know your thoughts. If you watch the ballet and have some thoughts about the ballet, ways we can update the ballet. Let us know that too. Our comment section is always here to take your suggestions and thoughts. But until then, everybody, stay healthy, stay safe. Thank you to my amazing finalists who joined us for our 50th episode. We will see you in episode 51. Thanks.